Now let's turn in the Bible to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. We've been here now for a few weeks. Malachi chapter two, we're gonna cover today the first nine verses, and today is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a breaking point from really all that Malachi is, is doing if you start to, to check out the theme of it, but it fits because he's still speaking directly to the priests, and I'm gonna go, go over that. Today's sermon is gonna be about the, the impact that the people of God have in the world for better or for worse. The good influence or the bad influence, the faithful witness or the unfaithful witness, and whether you think much about Christianity or discipleship, I know you think about this a lot. You think about bad examples and good examples. You think about good representation and poor representation. I know that you do, and really that's what Malachi is all about today by way of the priest and God speaking to the priests. When I was single before I'd gotten married and when I was in school, I started waiting tables. And those of y'all that knew me when I first moved here a long time ago, that's what I did. I waited tables and I, I really enjoyed it. And that little season of life, which I quickly kind of uh, didn't enjoy anymore, but I did enjoy it for a while, uh, really opened my eyes to several different things and helped me to see uh, different aspects of life in the world that <clears throat> I still learn a lot from and glean a lot from. And being a server, I worked at Bonefish Grill over on the East End on Hurstbourne Parkway, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I, I remember one night I was in the kitchen serving and having a good time, and I had really good friendships with a lot of people that worked there. And I'll never forget, one day I was in the kitchen preparing some drinks, and a, a lady that I worked with kind of stormed back into the kitchen, and she said, see, that's why I can't stand these people. I hate waiting on Christians. And I thought, oh, brother, because I was a seminary student, and they knew that. I was working at this church part-time, and I, I just knew that this puts me in an awkward spot. And I said, well, wh what is it? I said, what is it? And she showed me, and Bonefish Grill's a little bit pricey. The bill ended up being about like $67 for a couple to eat dinner that night. And, and on the bill of $67, they had left a tip of like $3.50 or something like that. But they made sure they wrote out a lot of things like, Jesus loves you, hope you'll get born again and read this track, and they left her all of that. And it was a bad spot to be in for me. It was a really uncomfortable spot because I had been wanting so badly for my life at Bonefish Grill to be a good witness to Jesus. I'd prayed about it every time I would walk into the restaurant. And yet here in a moment, a young college-age girl who is working there to make money, not to get religion, but to make money, that's why she was working there, serving a family that clearly had enough money to spend $67 on a dinner, would only tip three, and it had upset her. And I found myself being in a spot where what was I gonna say and how was I gonna react to this? And really, is there anything I could say right there that would prove to her or show to her that Jesus is better than that? I think it was a bad example. And in Malachi this morning, that's what God is going to get at. Bad examples from the people who know better. A bad witness or a bad testimony from the people who should know better. 
Read with me, if you will, at Malachi chapter two. We'll go through the first nine verses. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in all of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Last week I said that we must be serious with God. We cannot allow ourselves to become indifferent toward God and that in the end we should be dedicated to God. Spent a lot of time last week talking about how serious we should take God. We must be serious about him and though there are times where we ought not be so serious, certainly, God we must take seriously. We see this now in chapter two here, as God speaks directly to the priests. We've already said in Malachi that this message in this book can be directed at all of God's people. All of God's people had turned away from him in, in many ways, and yet, so all of them are, are guilty, but more specifically, God speaks to the priests, the leaders, those who are responsible for those under them. I wanna begin today by pointing out the bad priests, the bad example, the unfaithful witness, the bad priests. God says to them straight up, and now, O oh, priests, this command is for you. In other words, I'm, I'm speaking to you, priests. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, God is saying to them that their lives are to be toward God. They are to be honoring to God by the very nature of being in the work of God, the ministry of God, the service of God. They are to be using that opportunity and privilege to bring glory to God. They are to walk in obedience. They are to reflect him. They are to be an example of him. And anybody that knows anything about a priest knows that that's the way it's supposed to be. But if they do not, then it's a bad thing. And that's what we have here. God warns them that he would curse them. He would bring a curse upon them. He would curse their blessing. He, would, he warns that he's already began. He has already started cursing them because they do not lay it to heart. And we've said this the past two weeks, and I want you to see it again here today. In many ways, the, the issue with the priests is not what they're doing, but rather the heart behind what they're doing. We have seen this warning and this caution now since we've been in Malachi. 
We try to pat ourselves on the back for that which we think we're doing well or for that which we think we're doing for God, but God is able to see inside of us and know our motive. He knows where our heart is. You remember in Malachi, God would ask them a question and then they would reply back with like a a response that they uh, didn't understand it or they didn't see it. This is really how the whole book of Malachi goes. And I want to, I want to show you this. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? They question back, how have you loved us, God? And this is really the way Malachi goes. There are six of these I want to show you. Look at chapter 1, um, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If, thy, if, I, if then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But here it goes. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? So they don't see that what they're doing is not faithful to God. It's not by faith. It's not sincere. It's not worship. It's not by belief. It's not based off of affection for God. They're just going through the motions. And this is, the, this is what you see over and over again. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why doesn't he? Why does he not? God says to them, I don't like this offering. I don't accept it. I'm not pleased with it. And they say, why not? Look down to chapter two, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Look at chapter three, verse seven. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And again, chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? What a stubborn hard-headed and hard-hearted people these priests have become. They are sure by their perspective that they're okay, that they're doing it right. And yet, they're fine with thinking that way apart from what God says. It really is an uncomfortable thing to observe if you and I are aware that life's about God. What God says, what God is pleased by, what glorifies him, what honors him, that we are looking to God to see what he says. God, how do you want me to do life? God, what's it look like to be somebody with character? What's what's that like to you, God? What's it like to be honest and faithful? What's it like to go to a restaurant, God, and, and, and tip in a way that's pleasing to you, right? These are the ways that we have learned to think because we are true followers of Christ. We want God to be pleased with every move we make, and yet the priests don't seem to get this. And so God tells them that he's going to curse them. And then in verse three, he says it in such a tough way. To be honest, I thought about not even addressing 
this verse. Look at verse three. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. That's God that says that. My first thought, if I'm honest, back days ago when I was working through this was, that sounds like what a little kid would say on a playground. It really does. I'm gonna spread this poop on your face. But I was quickly reminded, y'all, that this is the holy, inspired word of God. And I want to remind you here this morning that every single word in the word of God was intentionally, precisely put there for our instruction. There is not a word in the holy word of God that is accidentally there. You and I should come with the deepest, with the biggest, most sincere reverence to the word of God. We should humble ourselves in understanding that God is true way much more than I am. That his awareness of what needs to be said is so much better than my perhaps thinking that that should not have been said. God has a very real reason for why he put that there. Once God showed me that, I said, well, then let's go to work and figure out why. The priests are the chosen people of God to be the representation of God. I've told you many times that the prophet gets a word from God and tells it to the people. And the priest gets something from the people and goes back and talks to God. In that role, the priest there is a go-between for God. He is connecting the people to God. Even in our culture, this is where we have seen major, major flaws with the denominations that still use a priest. We have seen major problems with this because we are holding priests to such a high standard, which we should. But the priest is the messenger of God. It even says that a little bit later on. Look at verse 7. The end of verse seven, he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. If your job and position, if your service and business is to help people know and understand God, hear from God, know what God is like, know what God says, know what God thinks, know how God feels both in the, the direction of toward God and the direction of turning people away that they're going the wrong way. If that's what your business is, and you have now found yourself in position where your heart is not set on God, where you're just going through the motions, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're doing it the way you think best, you're not doing it the way God has told you to, that is awful. But it's not a kid at the playground just coming up with some idea to do something silly and sloppy. Remember what was happening. The priest would take, an off, uh, would take a sacrifice and he would take it to the altar and he was under very strict instruction from God in the Old Testament of exactly how to do that. And as they would sacrifice the animal and get it ready on the altar, there were lots of parts of the animal that were not allowed to be on the altar. There were unclean parts, right? There were parts of the animal that did not go on the altar. They had to offer the proper sacrifice to God. 
And, thankfully so, the dung was a part that had to be discarded. So picture the priest offering a sacrifice on behalf of the people for their sins, crying out to God for mercy. And the mercy doesn't come necessarily because of the sacrifice. The mercy comes from the heart of God who ultimately gives the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. But the sacrifice represents what God has told them to do. And so there's a part of the sacrifice that needs to be discarded. There are the entrails. There is the dung. And that would be taken and removed. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that it needed to be removed very, very far away. It had to be taken literally outside the camp is what the Bible teaches. It had to be taken far from the presence of God. For ugly, wrong, dirty, unclean things are not to be in the presence of God. You don't associate those with the worship of God. And so, the priests were indifferent toward it. Something as serious as worshiping the holy God that only a particular person was able to do, the priest on behalf of the people, somebody taking that serious thing and trivializing it like it doesn't matter, doing it wrongly, doing it with indifference, doing it not from a right heart, was awful. And so God wasn't just saying he's going to go find some dung somewhere and smear it on their face. What God is saying is if you want to make the worship and the focus of God an an unhealthy thing, a wrong thing, a sinful thing, well, let's just call it what it is. Instead of taking that dung and taking it outside, I'll just put it on your faces so that everybody knows what I know. Your heart's not right in this. You're filthy. You're not sincere. God's not being childish. God is calling it what it is and making it clear to the people. For the people follow the priests, and in so many ways, rightly so. And if the priests are going through it wrongly and therefore not doing it right, then the people are involved with it wrongly and therefore not doing it right, and they are really, really far from God. And so if God is saying to the priest, this is sin, then let's just cover you in it so the people will see this is sin. This is not right. And so what God is doing is he is exposing, he is exposing that this is not worship to God. It may be a lot of religion. It may be a lot of of, of duty. It may be a lot of sacrifice, but it is not worship to God. True worship comes from the heart. And we see that as we aim to obey him. Matthew Henry, in speaking to this horrible service of the priest, says this. Nothing profanes the name of God more than the misconduct of those whose business it is to do honor to it. You study the Bible and you see where God is most worked up most aggravated, most angry, without sinning. It is against those who are supposed to be helping people connect to God. What a bad example this is. What a misleading ministry this is. And so church, we have to be able to ask ourselves, we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, To those that are around us, what are they understanding about God from us? To those who are around us, what are they understanding about God from us? How might the kids in our church 
be understanding God? It's gotten to the point where it's a scary thing to raise kids in church because there has been so much misrepresentation. There have been so many bad examples that it is a scary thing to see kids growing up in church. We would do well to hear God's warning to the priests that we would have our hearts in the right place and we would know what it means to teach the gospel and the grace and heart and mercy of God that we would lay that before them. But right after that, as he addresses them being a bad example, he follows it up with the good example, the good priest. In verse four we see, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in all of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness for he turned many from iniquity. God speaks to the fact that the priesthood used to be in better shape. God created the priesthood out of the tribe of Levi. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, there was only one tribe that was set up to be the priest. That was the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. We know that out of that, we saw some good and faithful priests. We know Aaron, right? Aaron was a good priest, and we know him to, to do a good job. Now, all these people were sinners and flawed, but to an extent, they were a good representation of God. They did the things that God told them to do, uh, by and large, for the most part. And God speaks to that. What he's doing is he's showing the bad examples that there are some good examples out there. Don't you remember what the covenant was? When he speaks about Levi here, he's not speaking singularly to the person of Levi. He's speaking to the priesthood. He's speaking to the priest that did a good job. But notice what he says about it and, and soak this in as what we can be. Soak this in on what good examples are like. Just listen to these things. It was a covenant of life and peace. He, it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in all of my name. Imagine that the people that are representing God, right? Let's just think about the children in our midst and the examples that they're getting. Do they see a relationship of life and peace? Peace. Peaceful home and a peaceful relationship and a peaceful community and a peaceful church aiming for a peaceful world and a desire for life. And see, we can very quickly get to where we are so desiring our church or our lives to be something that they're not, that we're so let down that we're not very peaceful anymore. And God reminds them that this is about peace. He said he was supposed to fear me and fear me he did. He said he stood in all of my name. All oh, that priests would do what they do because of God being king. Oh, that churches would do whatever they do because God is king, because he reigns, because we will answer to him one day, because we will bow down to him. Oh, that that grand truth would seriously be a factor in every move you make. It was with the priests early on. Listen to verse six, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many 
from iniquity. Man, thank God for people like that. Thank God for a priest that when he spoke, it was true. That the things he said were right. That everybody that ever heard from him were hearing things that were in the right direction of what God is truly like. You know, this Friday, we fed the football team for the first time. We get to do that all season long. And what an opportunity that is. And each Friday, as I get ready to speak to them, about 70 football players here in our church basement on Friday, I remind myself to be aware that many of them have probably never heard a Bible message. Probably never read the Bible. They may have never been to church. And so, in a lot of ways, they don't really know much about the truth or the true God. And so, along those lines, I want to be able to think that the little bit of time we get with them, we give them a good picture of what he's like. We want them to get a good example of what he's like from the way we handle a spilt drink, from the way we are glad to serve them, from the way that we would, would, would open up our doors, from the way that we talk to them, to the things that we say, to the smiles that we give, to the gospel truth that we lay out before them, that their whole experience would be a good representation of what God is like. God is saying this. He turned many from Iniquity. Oh, that our witness would so represent God that people would be drawn to turning away from sins. In essence, this is what the church is all about. Us turning away from our sins and embracing the one who died for our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord. We guard knowledge. People should seek instruction from his mouth, a messenger of the Lord. What an example, what an opportunity. And so God here in Malachi is chastising the priests because that's not what they are. That's what they were supposed to be and they know that. They remember that, but they've gotten so far away from it. And you know, perhaps we're the same way. We know what it's like to be honest, and we, we know what it's like to be faithful and dependable. We know what it's like to be responsible. We know what it's like to live upright, but sometimes we can just drift off and get further and further and further away from him. One of the experiences that I can recall so many times in my life with so many people is people that I used to know that didn't cuss. They, they, they tried to guard their mouths. They wanted their speech to be upright and honorable, and they wanted it to be uh, worshipful to God. And I remember when I hang around some people, every once in a while I've noticed they've just started slipping up and cussing a little bit. And I think, no, no big deal. You know, th- things happen, right? W- words slip out here and there. It's not the end of the world, and hopefully they're, they're mindful of that. And then the next thing you know, I'm, I'm around them three months later, and it's like, and I'm thinking, what just happened? You didn't used to be that way. We used to hang out all the time, and you, you weren't that way. And, and this is a, an experience that happens to all of us in, in different directions. It may be your mouth. It may not be your mouth, right? But what can happen to us is we can forget about what God saved us to be. That when God saved us, man, we really hated our sins. Man, I remember when I bowed my knee to God, and I cried out to him. 
I remember when some of you all have sat with me and called me up and sat in my office and cried your eyes out because you know that you turned your back on God and you were broken over it. And you lose that edge because you turn your eyes off God and next thing you know, you're becoming indifferent to the seriousness of God. And God is now speaking to the priest and saying, you've gotten so far away from me. Here's what I called the priesthood to be. The priests are the people that show people what God's like. You communicate to him what God says. You communicate back to God what the people are saying. There is a relationship here, and it's gotten all messed up. But it can be a good one. When we get to this point, we start thinking, man, Josh, you're putting a lot of pressure on me to really live it. You're putting a lot of pressure on me to be a good representation. And so let me stop there. That's where I need to come in and remind you all that this message is not directly about us. This message is about the priests in the Old Testament who did not fulfill their end of the covenant. And the reason why God gives us this example of the people that did not keep their end of the covenant is because there is one who did keep his end of the covenant. There is a Jesus who is in the New Testament described to us as our good and faithful priest. He has done everything God asked him to do. He has walked the line, towed the toe, guarded his mouth, done everything that was supposed to be. And being the perfect example for us, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter four. If you can turn there quickly, go ahead. If not, I want you to hear this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, okay, not beat down because we're not a great example of a priest, no, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse chapter five, for every high priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is, the beset, is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also... Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he, he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And look at this, verse nine of chapter five. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Bible here in Malachi, demonstrating to us God's disappointment with the priesthood, shows us that God has a picture of what the priest is supposed to be like, and we see that answered and fulfilled in Christ, who not only is the ultimate priest, but also sacrificed himself for our sins. 
as you and I think about the failing witness that the priests were, and we're honest about the idea that we ourselves have never been the perfect example to the world of what Christ is like, you and I are to find Jesus as the answer for all of our shortcomings. We are to see Jesus as the one who is the example to us in how he relates to God and also is the savior for us in how he died on the cross. Jesus is the perfect priest. As one commentator says, it is Jesus who offers worship that fully honors God. It is Jesus who offers an utterly worthy sacrifice that God delights in, that God accepts. He is the ultimate pastor teacher who saves many from their sin. When we start to see the priests and we're aware that the priest has really done a bad job here, we are not to first hear, well, we better get ourselves together and do a better job. No, don't think that way. Don't leave here thinking that I just smacked you on the rear and said, get with it. Because that's not the message of the word of God. The message of the word of God is that in every single way that you and I have fallen short, Jesus didn't. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the prophet, the priest, and the king of every single way that we can relate to God. Jesus died for our sins, and we are to embrace him. But thirdly, when the Bible says that, it then teaches us, and get ready for this, that all of those who are in Christ are now priests. The Bible teaches in the priesthood of the believer. So while we see bad representation through the priest and good representation through the priest, through the, those early on in Levi that did it well and ultimately in Christ, the Bible wants us to also understand that we now in Christ are priests. We believe that. That's why we read one verse in the middle of the service from 1 Peter 2.9 where Peter tells the church that they are a royal priesthood. What does he mean when he says that to the church? He means that everybody that is in Christ is in a relationship with God based off of Christ that gives you full and direct access to God. This is why, again, and I want to be careful here not to upset anybody, but this is why so many denominations are getting this terribly wrong when they still hold up a priest and want you to go talk to the priest as he talks to God on your behalf. This is not to be found when Christ is understood as the priest. You have direct access to God through Jesus. If you bow your heart to him right now and you say, Father in heaven, he will hear you. Somebody is misleading. They are a bad representation of what God is like if they're telling you to talk to a priest about it. The Bible teaches us that we are now priests all because of the high priest. If anybody is in Christ, they have a relationship with God the Father. Listen to the way Wayne Grudem puts it. He says, The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, whereby the New Testament affirms that all Christians have access to God's throne in prayer and all share as members in the royal priesthood, indicates that all Christians have the ability to, or at least some ability, to interpret Scripture, right? That's why we want the people to read the Bible. And some responsibility to seek God's wisdom in applying it to situations. All have access directly to God in order to seek to know his will. Listen to this. The New Testament, and we are so proud of this in a good way. The New Testament allows for no special class of Christians who have greater access to God than others. The Bible models for us time and time again. 
that a prostitute on the street who has come to faith, that a poor lady who is offering in her two cents of offering, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at, the rich man, Lazarus, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, it does not matter who you are. Once you come to Christ, God adopts you into his family, forgives you of his sins, and you have a relationship with God. That's why you should pray at night before you go to bed. That's why you should read your Bible on a regular basis because God has brought you into a relationship with God. And once that has happened, the Bible says that we're priests, which means we are now representing God to the world, which means as we profess faith in Christ, the world watches, which means if you're gonna put a witness on your receipt at the restaurant, you better put a good tip with it. Because once we start professing faith in Christ, the world is watching to see what he's like. And every time that we drop the ball, they think it's a strengthening them in their unbelief. And every time that we look as a good representation of God, perhaps they start thinking, wow, maybe God's right. Now, ultimately, we're not the standard at all. Jesus is. But to somebody who has yet to know Jesus, all they can do is watch those who say They do. In Malachi 2, he directly uh, opposes and rebukes the priests. He calls them to repentance. He reminds them of the good representation of the priests of how they used to be. And look what he says here at the end, verses 8 and 9 of Malachi, and we'll be finished. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. If it's true that the priest's failures affected the people and caused them to stumble and therefore misunderstand God, that it's also true that our obedience and faithfulness can be used by God as a witness in the right direction. Last week I warned that we ought to be those who take God seriously. And what if everybody in your life, out of your kindness and humility, was drawn to the fact that it's good to take God seriously? Working in that same restaurant years ago, I remember when I had some buddies said, man, we're gonna come up there and eat. And I ended up being too busy that night and I was in a section where I couldn't take them. And they said, well, man, give us a good server. I said, all right. And I looked around to see who I was working with and I said, who's good? And I found somebody for them to sit with and and I got my buddies to sit at that table and I remember saying to them, hey, she's a good server, you better treat her right. And I remember they ended up tipping her like at 25%. She came back to me And she was talking to me about, hey, who were they and what were they like and why were they doing that? The difference in just a tip made all the difference on their outlook on the people of God. A tip at a restaurant, y'all, is a small thing. I'm not trying to teach on tipping today. But I am trying to get us to see if somebody's not reading the Bible or coming to church, what do they know about God? One of my sons came home from school this week and said, hey, I got in a conversation with some guys at school the other day, and here's what they told me. They said, Jesus has all the white people, and Muhammad's got all the black people. Is that right? I 
I said, no, that's not right, but somebody told them that. Little elementary kid at school, somebody told them that. They didn't read that in a book. They didn't read it in any holy book, regardless whose book they say that is. They got that out of the words of somebody else talking about God. Folks, as long as God leaves us here, listen, as long as God leaves us here, and whoever he puts in your life, what if all they kept getting was what he's really like? What if all that they kept getting is what he's really like? He forgives everything. He dies in your place. He sacrifices more than you can. He gives more than you give. He loves more than you love. He tries harder than you try. He never quits, never gives up on you as a faithful savior. Oh, that they would see that. What if they were aware that we're more like the bad priest than we are the good priest? What if we're aware that we feel like we don't even need God to smear the dung on our face because we know we've smeared the dung on our faces ourselves? We've not represented him well enough. Jesus is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. And as long as God gives us life, may we represent him well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Malachi chapter two and the rebuke of bad examples and the the message of a good one. Thank you, God, that Jesus is our ultimate high priest and now we are priests if we're in him. And so we must take that seriously. And Father, I pray for our witness as a church, as we're out in the community. Pray for our witness in our homes. I pray, God, in all the relationships that we have, which would truly just be millions and millions and millions of relationships, as all of us are connected to people all over, as we speak about being involved in church, went to church this morning, went to a Sunday school class and reading my Bible, post about it, things like that, God, that it would be accurate and true to what you're really like. God, forgive us in all the ways that we haven't. Father, thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.